Good morning, Dean Broadley. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Tech Central. Dean is the head of product design at Yoko. And Yoko is a phenomenal company, a company that I'm very, very interested in personally, and a company that I've been watching, you know, primarily because I get my invoices sent directly to my inbox, but also because they believe commerce is open, we all thrive. And in order for us to thrive, it's the backbone. It's the people in the background. It's the people like Yoko, and it's their perspective of people, and quite specifically, product design that makes Yoko the success it is today. Dean, let's kick off. I'd love to hear more about Yoko, and quite specifically about the product design journey that Yoko is on. Sure. Thanks. It's lovely to be here. So from a product design point of view, we're really focused on making sure that the actual products in terms of proposition, shape, and form meet a human being's need, right? At the right time, at the right place, yeah. which means we focus on the experience, empathy, all the rest of it, and definitely something that we're spending more time on in terms of focusing on our sustainable differentiation as a company, being in the experience space. And also it helps us discover the right problems to solve for customers, right? So we try to find answers and not have answers. That's usually how and, I look at it. And when you talk about customers, quite specifically, the merchants are typically self-employed, of which I gather there are about 200,000 self-employed merchants currently on your platform that use it with an aim to get to about a million, and whether they're self-employed or entrepreneurs, but merchants nonetheless, by about the end of 2024, that's an audacious goal. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I think for us as a company, every one of those customers means more, like you said earlier, open commerce and economic activity for everybody, right? And so the number is audacious so that we can set a good stake in the ground that really orients us around not limiting ourselves in terms of who we want to help and support and help thrive. And it also means that you don't focus too hard, I would say, on the numbers actually. If the number's pretty big, then then you don't kind of nickel and dime yourself in terms of the value you need to provide to those people. And so we're very much focused on merchants, people who are trying to be self-employed, people with a hustle, people who are trying to make a way for themselves and those around them is really what we're, we're focused on and what we care about. And as a fintech based here in Africa, you talk about the numbers, but you and I clearly are, are here to talk about the product from a design perspective. And that's centralized around the user. So you've described the user somewhat. And I mean, I alluded to the fact that they're entrepreneurs, self-employed, and I'm sure that there are many different ways in which you can define your merchants and users of the platform. But why is product design so important to Yoko? It's a great question. I think it's super important to us as a company because what was what the easy trap for companies to fall in, and especially with fintechs, is we focus too much on the fun and too much on the tech, right? And then you forget about the humans in between. And product design sits at that intersection, right? We focus on a lot about the why we're building things or what the right problems to solve for a customer is. And that means we work very closely with the people that do research and insights and we put things in front of customers so that we can go, oh, okay, we may have had an hypothesis or an assumption that people want to do X with a card machine or they want to receive a payment in this method. But until you really engage with customers, put something in front of them, then you start to get like the, the insight and the feedback that you need that's a bit more practical in a way. It also helps keep the organization on the same page. So, you know, human beings are very good at coming up with our own ideas and we're very good at agreeing 
in the abstract, but until you make something and put it in front of everybody, then everybody goes, oh yes, that's what we're talking about. Or they go, oh no, that's, I thought it was something different. And that's one of the okay. things that product design really helps the company do. And I usually phrase it in terms of saying that product design should be the cheapest place we learn a lesson, basically. Because once okay. you're in the market and you've done engineering and you've done your marketing and all the rest of it, you will still learn things, obviously. But the, the ability to learn sooner and make a mistake earlier in a practical, objective way is really where product design's core value is. And then if you look at also from a global kind of space, if you look at companies that are doing really well and outperforming their competitors, generally those companies treat, let's say, the empathy practices like design and insights, et cetera, as very core to the way the business operates. And they outperform their competitors by multiples purely because they understand that if you differentiate an experience, you have a deep relationship, you have deep understanding, and you can sustainably manage that relationship, right? Because you actually care okay. about your customer in a meaningful way. Can we touch a bit on that word you use, empathy? I understand the customer centricity. I understand that you perhaps do empathy mapping. What are some of the human critical metrics that come to the fore specifically for Yoko? That's also a really good question. And it's something that I think big caveat there is these things evolve based on what yep. you're doing and where you are as a company and the market you're playing, right? But what we try to focus on is, again, like I said, I used the word relationship earlier. Right? And so mm -hmm. when you view your interaction with your customers as a relationship, an authentic relationship, it means you do a couple of things. You look at the fact that you're asking basically permission to be in your customer's lives. And then from a metric point of view, you're going, okay, I focus maybe a bit more on how do I build and maintain trust? How do I, when we're designing a product, how is that, that thing supported well? Meaning when something goes wrong, because things go wrong, things break, you know, life is chaos. So while you're trying to do a payment or work with a customer, there might be a car crash outside, load shedding might happen, children cry, all those kinds sure. of things happen and nobody sure. really experiences a product linearly. And so from a metrics point of view and a measurement point of view, we're always trying to see, okay, through that, how good are we at dealing with the things we can't control and how good are we at having deep empathy for the things that are through our interaction and our testing with customers we know could happen, right? And so how can we preempt how can we walk with you through the experience, but also not kind of be in your way, right? Like I said earlier, we're asking permission. So if you're not trying to do something with a payment right now, or you're not trying to do something with us right now, it's not our, our job is definitely not to then be in the way because you, you're trying to live your life as well, right? And so those are the kinds of things we look at. And then those flood up into like kind of more traditional metrics. And that helps us also measure the impact of a change, right? So like if we make an experience more trustworthy, as an example, that will result in people engaging more or willing to do more with a platform or a machine or whatever it may be. So that's kind of how we look at it. And it's something we're building as we go as well, because like I said, it's based on context and need. And, you know, there's also the side of how do you measure things like people having access to your product. And when I say access, I mean specifically accessibility in this kind of context where do you have people with varying levels of ability or disability, whether it be visual impairment or physical disabilities or contextual disabilities or age, et cetera. And we want to make sure that both we're designing for those people and then also helping our merchants serve those people. And so that's a big focus for us as well. So you were just started touching on the fact that there's quite an extensive amount of innovation that goes on behind a product like this. And that is typically driven by the demand of the market. Is that right? Yeah. And then also our ability to see where new demand might come from. And when I say demand, I mean, people will tell you 
what they know is a problem today. When you're doing empathy well, you're able to find the little objective nuggets within what the story they're telling you to go, oh, actually, you're asking about this, right? Actually, you, and I mean, there's the classic example in like kind of design or jobs to be done where you say, people don't want to drill, they want to hang a picture. Yeah. So, and a lot of people say they want a hole in the wall, but nobody really wants a hole in the wall. They want to do something <laughs> with that, right? And so our so job true. is to go, you know, they might give you feedback in the, if I use that analogy, you know, the drill, they might give you feedback on the drill, but our job is to figure out, okay, but why are you focused on that particular thing? And then mm. tell us more, what did you expect, et cetera. And then you go, okay, actually, it's because you're trying to hang a hundred pictures a day because you're a contractor and this is a thing you need to do. Therefore, we need to solve for that problem rather yes. than making a really awesome drill with super cool features and yeah. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and whatever in the drill. And a good example close to home is I just want to make my payment and leave. Yeah. I don't want to sit and watch while someone <clears throat> changes the paper reel in, in their point of sale terminal. Yeah. I don't actually want that paper receipt. So as I said earlier, it's so useful to know that Yoko just emailed it straight to me. And thank you very much. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, and I think that's a really good example, actually, if I sorry to interrupt you, but it's uh, yeah. there are people that have the need for the paper and there are people that don't. And so one of the things that you say that is a very common and well-known phrase in design is if you design for everybody, you design for nobody. Yeah. And Yoko, one of the things that I've been working on with the teams, et cetera, is how do we change that a little bit and say, we don't design for everybody, but we design for everyone. And okay. what that means is not giving you the things that are relevant to, let's say, me, but both of you having meeting both of your needs. And that Absolutely. requires us being very like nuanced in our approach and very mm. kind of targeted in how we mm. provide certain solutions and how they're packaged and et cetera, because different people have different needs at different times and they have different That's expectations. Amazing. So, yeah. On an aside, I was coaching someone recently on user journey mapping mm. and they couldn't understand why you couldn't just put all of the users into one journey map. So I said, well, try. And mm -hmm. it just became a mess for that exact reason. And we've all had these experiences, right? It's like when you maybe call a call center of a more traditional organization that's very scaled and you have to go through that kind of push one, three, five, seven kind of experience. And that is an organization's response to trying to deal with all the problems through one very kind of small pipeline, if that makes sense, in terms of like trying to funnel you through that thing. And what we try to do is always take the step back to say, okay, well, what, are we solving the right problem right now? Do we understand sure. enough about the problem? And then you focus on doing it really well. And sure. most companies focus on that latter part where they try to focus on doing it really well or focusing on the things, because the thing is those feel more influenceable, right? And so for Yoko, we try to spend a lot more time in that tension of we don't know what we don't know yet. Let's go and find out. Let's prototype. Let's test. And then go, oh, actually, people don't want this at all. And yeah. that's a really valuable space to be in, actually, is like making that mistake, like I said, early mm. and in an effective way means that you're more tool to make the right decision in the future. Thanks, Dean. I think it's a lovely analogy. It definitely brings the sort of personality and the values of Yoko to the fore. And on that note, you've talked about product design, and I think most of the audience on this call will understand product design. What does product design mean to Dean? And what's your background? It's quite a funny thing when you say it. a lot of people understand product design. I think um, it's one of those skill sets that's got the lowest barrier to entry. And that means it's just a double-edged blade, right? It's where okay. everybody has their own version of what it is. And so I will tell you what it means to me. Um, but uh, I think it is nuanced also based on the organization. But in terms of what product design means for me is 
it's a couple things, right? It's the ability for us to focus on creating truly excellent experiences for customers and not focusing on being the least worst. And that happens when you look at what a customer really needs, what a, a human being, you know, what, what, is, what is the real thing they're going through, finding a unique unknown solution to an unknown problem and supporting it in a way that makes sense and is effective in the long term. And how I kind of like look at it and why I look at it that way is I've, I've worked in my career, my very wonky path, I call it, everything from kind of like character design in comic books to advertising. I worked in advertising for a long time. I've worked in, I've run and built teams in large banks and I've consulted all around the world in terms of design practice and building things in Silicon Valley and a whole bunch of like big tech companies. And what I'm doing right now and what we're looking at at Yoga is how do we take all those things and all those learnings and go, okay, how do we set the benchmark for what it actually means to do product design well? And that means looking at where does it go well, where does it go badly, where, and what are the real intrinsic human factors that make this thing good? And so that's really, in a nutshell, what product design means to me is that it's the ability to achieve consistent excellence for the people we serve and the people we ask permission to participate in the lives of. More than that, you know, I try not to predict because well, I don't you, know what's going to happen next week. <laughs> you, de- you described that beautifully. So it, it really shows your character as well. And I think <clears throat> I mentioned this, the values of Yoko and the, the Yoko have attracted a number of very interesting different talents from around the world and different organizations. So what sort of talents are you looking for at the moment in terms of product design to aid this massive expansion of yours and where are you looking and what are the sort of skill sets that you specifically have in mind? Oh, that's a very good question. I think one of the, again, double-edged blade with product design is that barrier to entry is not very high in terms mm. of starting. And I like that because the most interesting and the most skilled product design people I found in the market don't come from product design or from design generally. So like as an example, one of the designers in my team is a trained jazz musician. That's what he studied. And he's a brilliant designer. And so when we say what we're looking for, you know, there's kind of two strategies, but one is we're looking for people that either have worked in the space and have a really deep curiosity for human beings, right? And they exercise that curiosity through the practice of creating products or experiences for other human beings. And the other thing that I've always kind of known about kind of teams is talent or skill attracts talent and skill. So the more you can get people who are of a certain outlook on life and a certain set of values, the more you see people with similar values go, oh, something's happening over there. And you start to find more interesting people. So like when we're in the recruitment phase, like one of the things that I've been saying to the teams is don't block too early right? But really kind of go, you know, because you'll find really interesting people go, I really f- am interested in the space or and I think a certain way. And then through the conversations you have with them, you go, oh, this person does get it. They don't have the words or the things. I can teach them all those things, right? But the intrinsic values and the way they approach things is super important because like I always say in my teams is like, we don't hire robots, right? We hire human beings. So all the things that come with that is like everything that makes you who you are is what we want in the team. I don't just want somebody to sit on a production line and make screens for an app or, you know, design buttons for a card machine. It's, it's about bringing their whole self to work. And that's a very, very, very important point for doing product design effectively in my view. So, yeah, I don't know if that actually answers yeah, the question. It, it does. You, you, you're you're looking for, it sounds like you're looking for ambitious people who can apply themselves. 
you know, problem solvers as opposed to solutionists? Yeah. So like, yeah, problem finders and solvers, right? So mm. I think it is about that. It's about, that's why I use the word curiosity. You need to be yeah, very interested like in the people and the problems, not necessarily just about the solutions. And because you do, again, you're focusing then on that latter part of the solving the problem, right? And I think I mentioned it earlier, but it's the case of good product design happens where people are focused on finding answers, not having answers. And one of the things that sure. I always had to tackle in maybe more traditional organizations is you might be sitting in a boardroom, a lot of very intelligent people and a question will be posed and everybody works very hard to come up with the solution right there at the table. <laughs> and I'm always tend to be the person who says, the solution is not here in this room at this table and it's not in our brains. Because if it was, then we wouldn't be posing it as a problem. Actually, we would have already solved it. Mm. And, I'm laughing because um, I've been in the, that exact scenario. I know, I know yeah. exactly what you mean. I'm sure there are Everyone many jumps to solution. <laughs> 100%. Because at the end of the day, that's the validation cycle, right? And you, sure. people get validated in whether it be school or studies, et cetera, that if you have the right answer, you get a pat on the back. Yeah. And so it's a perfectly human thing to do. The mm. trick is how to, you know, like what I say, clutch out and change down a gear and go, okay, what do we know and what don't we know? Mm. And then being willing to manage the tension with going to figure that out. Because at the end of the day, we see problems that through our own lenses. So there are mm. things you may see as a problem that I don't see as a problem, as an example. And yeah. so, and that's where you've got to, and again, from a team point of view, that's a very big focus of mine is that every human being you add to the team needs to add a subtly different lens, in my opinion. Um, mm. Because with the diversity of thought, you get much better coverage of problems that other people might not see, right? If, if we're all the same and we all think the same, we're all like the same tools, we're all dressed the same and all the rest of it, you're going to see the same problems and solve it in the same ways. Right. But if you have people that go, but hold on, why don't we, you know, I don't know, change the screen so it uses this kind of language? Because mm. when I was, you know, growing up this X, Y, and Z, a lot, you find it a lot bigger. And you also don't need to over-index on... Overly academic research, if that makes sense, sure. right? Sure. Sure. Because, and I'm sure maybe you've experienced this too. One of the things I've always found with research is it's again, it's a double-edged blade where you need to get that insight. But a lot of the time people still go to their bias at the end of the day. They do it as a checkbox, not as a, a piece of fitness in the team, right? So, and I think that's, that's like really important too. So what's on the exciting horizon for Yoko? Well, there's so much. I think rather than talk about specific items or products, no, there's sure, sure. a lot that we're focused on. Sure. One of the things that, I mean, the, the, the overall theme in terms of the horizon is connecting multiple touch points for a customer, right? So we understand that like, especially with businesses, small businesses going through the pandemic was a really tough time. And it means that a lot of people started looking at alternative ways of what they sell, how they sell, you know, what their business is about. And so our job mm -hmm. is to go, okay, cool. We could give you a card machine or maybe you want to sell online or maybe the nature of your business means that when you buy a stock, if you're a stock-based business, it changes. And so we provide capital in a meaningful way. And so from a Horizons point of view, it's about how good we get at connecting those things together for you and making sure that those things solve your problems in a meaningful way, not in kind of like, okay, cool. So-and-so does this too. So we're going to add that, right? That's another trap that a lot of people fall into. And so like one of the ways we look at it is we try to focus on outcomes and not outputs. So okay. we're, we're looking at like, what are the, I think in the rise is like really looking at holistic customer outcomes. And that could be, you know, we could have 20 different types of businesses, but they all use the same card machine as an example, but how might we 
create an experience on that card machine that is tailored to your business type, your specific business, et cetera. So you, like I said earlier, you see the things that are relevant to you and not relevant to 40 other businesses on the same kind of screen or even in the packaging or whatever. So I think that's what's really exciting for me is that we're really focused at Yoko about how do we do that well, right? And we don't assume that we're already good at everything. We really do the work to get good at it. And I always say that that's a delta between being a spectator and a player, right? You can, to do a thing, to understand a sport, you have to know the rules, see what's well, happening, etc. But the delta between being a good sports person, and I'm not a sports person, just to be clear, um, <laughs> is, you know, muscle memory, fitness, team dynamic, and, and all yeah. the rest of it. So, yeah, that, that's what really excites me about what's coming in the future at Yoko. Well, there's a lot in the future for Yoko, and it's exciting to see how, as an African fintech, you're enabling the people, you're enabling the country to move forward, you're enabling a lot of young startups and other merchants to position their product and you're removing a burden from them and i think in positioning yourselves like you have and positioning your product like you have through the design process that you followed you've definitely started if you don't mind me identifying this you've started with the right mindset and i think that's an accolade and it speaks very much to what we've been talking about in terms of you know asking what problem are we trying to solve and also how to might i be wrong the customer knows what the customer needs. Sometimes you can hold a hand and help them on that journey. And that's exactly what Yoko does. So Dean, thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks for unpacking product design for us. And thanks for sharing so intimately and passionately. We very much look forward to further communications and journeys with you and understanding more about this experience that you're going through. And I know that any of our listeners can contact you through you know, your website, your other forums you have available but also just start the conversation with Yoko. See how you can fit in, see how they can fit in with each other and see what opportunities there are in this beautiful country we live in and the opportunities that Yoko bring as a result of this focus on design. So thank you, Dean. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. It's been a great time. I appreciate it. I hope you have a good day further. Thanks, Dean. See you soon. That's cool. me, James Rassels from Tech Central. Thanks so much. <laughs>